What's up, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Diakite of This Moment, your transatlantic bridge connecting Sweden, Stockholm to Harlem, New York, and in turn, connecting us all to the world. As 2021 comes to a close, Marcus and I have decided to just reflect back on some of our favorite moments during the podcast this year, the second year we've been in existence. We've had the chance to speak with a lot of wonderful guests, cover important topics that impact our global BIPOC community. Thank you for being part of the journey with us, and I'd just like to share some of my faves with you. So let's jump in. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since the start of the pandemic, data shows that there's been a drastic uptick in anti-Asian attacks in the United States, especially against women. Many feel, and rightfully so, that the 45th president played a huge role in this by calling COVID-19 the Chinese virus. So earlier this year, I got a chance to chat with my dear friend and activist and academic Trisha Wong about what it's like being an Asian woman living in the United States during this time. So let's hear some of that episode. Trisha, you know, for you personally, what have these past 12 months been like? Look, my my past 12 months have been very sheltered. You know, I have been working from home. I'm not an essential worker. So I'm mainly in my apartment. So I'm not having to risk my life out there every day and getting to get sick, you know, to work in, 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 and having to travel on the subway. So my life is, is, is limited in that way. But also I live in an incredibly diverse neighborhood. I don't live in a concentrated um, neighborhood of like, you know, primarily Asians, I think in our community, at least in Brooklyn, this is a very diverse and, and strong community, and I feel very safe in this area. Um, and, you know, it's it's been, but what I have been fearful of is for, like, my family who lives in mm, Oakland and my exactly. grandmother, who I say she can't go on walks alone anymore. She's 92 years old, and she's been, she used to walk, you know, a couple <laughs> miles a day mm-hmm. on her own. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's not happening. No. Um, trying to convince, you know, my mother just to like, you know, just to be more careful. But it's been, it's been a hard one because I also am trying to work on my family to make sure that it doesn't go in the area of, of misinfo um, or, or fall into any of um, racist racism because, you know, a lot of what's happened in Oakland has um, the, you know, all the victims are Asians in, in Chinatown. And it just so happens the community next to Chinatown is a black community. And a lot of the people who have been, you know, harassing or harming Asian people have been black in that area. And I just have to really work on my family to make sure that whatever they say, whatever happens, that they don't fall into 
or lean into any of the racist kind of misinfo that's and fake news that's spreading in like, you know, their, their chat groups. I have to be like, no, these, these are the incidents. And this is like, this is, this is not at all black people are like this. And, um, this is, that's what I work on, like on a very personal, um, level. A pillar of white supremacist oppressive tactics is divide and conquer. Always has been. Exactly. It's a, you know, colonial, exactly. it's a pillar of colonial strategizing to, uh, oppress and conquer, uh, nations and peoples. The divisiveness between minority groups in the United States has such an old history. Uh, you know, it was the, the Irish were pitted against the Italians, the Irish and the Italians against the blacks and and, uh, you know, uh, or against the Jewish community or against the Asian community. It seems to seem to me, again, that this is just a continuation of like a very kind of American story. Yeah. And I would say that they're victims of not only white supremacy, but white supremacy is caught up is, is truly, um, I think it, it's hard to disnang white supremacy from mm. capitalism mm. Um, at all costs. You know, I think that's why like looking at intersectionality is very important, which is that none of these issues are just um, that white supremacy and capitalism are caught up together because it's an investment in a system. Mm. Um, it's, it's, and it's totalizing, you know? And so what happened there is a ongoing issue with that um, in America, at least with with Asians, is that we are pitted at pitted against each other by seeing by propped up as a model minority, mm-hmm. and white people analyze and say, "Hey, these are the minority. Like, why are you black people, Latinos? Why can't you be hardworking like Asians?" Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And that is a really problematic myth because then it creates this divisive. It, it, it creates further divides in the community. Mm. And also there are policies that are set in place that make it easier for Asians to get loans, you know, where the black people can't have access mm, to. And mm. they've been here. They've been born here. Mm, mm. And so there it's there. The, the, the tensions are real, um, but you can't it's not you have to look at it in terms of also capitalism and how it's all tied together. Um, so, yeah, no, it's part of a, a long system. And that's why. In America, we always have to have the other. Mm. Um, and so that I think that's that's how that's part of what American history is about, is understanding how the other mm. and the dangerous other and the fear of the other constantly moves. And you have to have you have to frame that. And so cultures that bring us together, like hip hop, like music, mm. they celebrate community and storytelling. It's it's inclusive enough that like hip hop doesn't say, you know, yes, it was started by black, black and Latino in black and Latino communities, but it's inclusive enough to really welcome um, and have space for everyone. But we need we need that's why we need to invest in culture, because that's the kind of stuff that brings people together. And it allows us to imagine a new story, a new way of conceptualizing what it means to be in America or to be in America. To hear the full interview, listen to episode 48. It's a really important conversation. Big shout out to Trisha Wong. Another one of my favorite moments from this year has definitely been interviewing social justice leader Tamika D. Mallory, who came on the show to promote her new book called State of Emergency, How We Win in the Country We Built. Tamika really opens up to us in that interview why we need to be active in the fight for justice. There's so many avenues that I want to go down with you, Tamika, but but take us inside the book, you know, uh, the state of emergency speech. And now, you know, you have the book in your hands. You're talking about it. You're all over the networks. It's out. It's it's on top of the charts. Uh, take us inside the book for a minute. 
there's a lot of good things in the book um, and a lot of great information. I do cover history to make sure, you know, Ella Baker once said that, you know, we have to really understand the history. It's not just knowing it, but it's understanding it. And so I think every time that we get an opportunity to talk about the history of this 400 plus year period uh, since we were uh, stolen from our land and, and brought here to a place that we've never been properly respected in and have never had equity and justice, um, you know, I, I do go into that. But I also talk about a prescription for working together uh, to, to push past these things. What's the role of, of each of us in the community? What is the role of uh, the relationship that we have with the Latino community, with the African community, with the, the diaspora, if you, if you will? What is the relationship there? Um, and the forward of my book was very, it was yeah. very intentional for me. I took the time to, to track down and use my relationship with with uh, Charlemagne and then of course, uh, thank God, Cardi B actually mm. follows me on social media and she and I had a number of conversations and then I had to track down Dr. Angela Davis using uh, my friend Philip Agnew and others and, and I got both of these people to agree, incredible yeah. icons to agree that they would be in conversation with one another at the mm. beginning of the book in this forward. And for me, that was important because I wanted to set the tone uh, that when someone picked up the book, they're automatically doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what their background is. They could be the janitor mm -hmm. working in the church mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the pastor. It could be the doctor and, you know, a child on the street corner. It could be a mother and her and her son. Um, it could be a young girl working in a strip club that everybody would find themselves mm -hmm. in these pages. I really wanted to sure that this book was one that is for all of us, um, that we all experience it together and that we use it as a tool mm. for how we move forward and how we actually one day receive justice and true mm. equity in America. And I think that it's brilliant to start the book with the, with the four words of, of a conversation of those two, as you say, icons. It's intergenerational. It's Angela Davis, of course, an icon from from the civil rights era and and with, you know, deep ideological roots to somebody who's more connected to the streets and to young pop culture today. But who is also I'm personally impressed by Cardi B. I mean, she's also in a way that not a lot of artists of her statue uh, uh, stature uh, uh you know, stuck her neck out and, and talked and commented on politics along the way in these past four or five years. She, she's not just commented. She's been behind uh, supporting families, supporting causes. I worked with uh, Alicia Keys, um, uh, Rhapsody, and a number of other individuals to pull a group together. And we worked on a public service campaign, if you will, for uh, Breonna Taylor and specifically to push for mm. Breonna's law to be passed mm. in Louisville, Kentucky. It was legislation that was being worked on by a sister um, named Katora Haran. And we worked together to ensure um, that this campaign would be one filled with the highest level voices. When you think about Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Jada Pinkett, um, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't even want to get in trouble for trying to name mm -hmm. all of the incredible women 
is something that I think if folks haven't seen mm. it, they should go back and, and look it up. Um, and the campaign was, do you know what happened mm. to Breonna Taylor? Um, and uh, uh, Cardi was one of those that we, in, we invited to be a part of it. She got on a call and literally reshaped the whole vision mm. in just moments. She helped pull the ideas together. She gave direction. She gave her support. And of course, she mm -hmm. turned in her video. And um, that to me, let, let me know that Cardi is, is much more clear about her role than many mm -hmm. of us may think. She knows mm -hmm. what she's doing. She understands that her music may not be uh, role model music. She knows that she's out here twerking and doing her thing. But I have to be honest, and I've been saying it everywhere that I go because I want people to know that the reason why I chose these two individuals outside of the idea that I, you know, I wanted it to be accessible, but I also find myself being a mixture mm -hmm. between Cardi mm -hmm. B and Angela Davis on any given moment. You can catch me twerking <laughs> and working, right? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah. You know, I remember Tamika's inspiring state of emergency speech that she gave after the death of George Floyd. That was around the same time Marcus and I created this moment. She really helped set the tone for the movement that followed. 
So this moment salutes you, Tamika D. Mallory. Thank you for everything. By the way, that's episode 55. Go check that out. Another favorite episode of mine is when we interviewed lifelong politician Margot Wallström, who helped institute the groundbreaking feminist foreign policy. What were some of the reactions you were met with and what were some of the challenges of conducting that feminist foreign policy? Yeah, I, I felt very proud to be able to announce that, that uh, I and, and we would pursue a feminist foreign policy in 2014. And we were the first government and I was the first foreign minister to, to do so. And this was, of course, part of, you know, I have always made my my agendas when I take on a new post or a new political role, I set an agenda because I think that if you do so and if you sometimes stick your neck out, you will create, you will get criticized for sure. That that's part of, of your of the, the job, but you will also create expectations and you set yourself a, a target, an objective. And this is, you know, for me, if I have those four sort of priorities, then I will have to answer to the voters uh, after four years. So did you deliver on these things? And exactly what did you do? So when, when we did so, when, when I pronounced that we would have a feminist um, foreign policy, I could almost hear the sort of the gasping of, of uh, seasoned uh, diplomats, you know, in the foreign ministry. But... I must say, if it was met with some uh, uh, criticism or curiosity, it, it turned into curiosity uh, very, very soon. And then also I, I um, presented a number of parameters by which we would work on this through all our diplomatic representation around the world. So I said, uh, to make it concrete, this is uh, not a slogan. This is about changing uh, women's lives around the world and doing so by checking on do they enjoy the same human rights and legal rights as men and boys around the world? Do budgetary resources go to meet the needs of, of girls and women as well? And do they even have gender budgeting? Do they check on, on the results of of this on, on women and men respectively. So we, we used sort of those parameters, those three R's, rights, representation and resources as the way to carry this out. And I think it, it has been an amazing uh, opportunity also because, and why does it belong to foreign policy? Because we know that more women means more peace. If women are around a table when peace negotiations are made, more options come on the table and the agreement will last longer. So that's what we know about this. And we cannot have sustainable peace if women are excluded. Have you seen your example that you boldly put forth be, have you inspired other nations? Are there other nations today that have a feminist foreign Absolutely. policy? Absolutely. Six countries so far have, uh, have followed. Wow. So uh, in, including Canada and France and uh, Mexico and uh, Tunisia and uh, Luxembourg. And I think others have, at least in part, they have also taken on to call it a feminist development policy or, or a feminist foreign. So we have in 
inspired others. We have um, for sure um, made an impression with this. And we have, of course, been consistent also when we served on the Security Council as a non-permanent member. Then we made sure that uh, we would all the time raise our hand and ask, so where are the women? Are they there as peacekeepers? Are they mentioned in Security Council resolutions? Do they come as briefers? Are they there invited as um, civil society uh, representatives, mm. etc.? And folks, that's episode 57. Among many things that I love about Margot, it is her ability to stand up to opposition and still manage to have civil discourse. Not always the easiest thing to do. Now, as you know, I'm an artist, so I'm gonna save the musical portion of this best of for last. So let's start with Ma Pei. My dear sister, friend, dope singer, rapper, and a frequent collaborator of mine. We chat with her about her hip hop origin story. So let's hear some of that. And I mean, over the years, we've known each other for, for a bunch of years now. So, but we've never really talked about, uh, uh, I've never really gotten the timeline on like where you grew up and when, but I seem to recall that you came to Stockholm when you were in your early teenage years or something oh, like that. Nine or 10. So I came from Providence, okay. Rhode Island to Stockholm. I grew up, mm -hmm. um, very humble, humble beginnings. Um, but the, the, the rich part of those humble beginnings was that I would always hear mm. bass lines from outside. You know what I mean? Like real hip hop. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a mm -hmm. hip hop environment, you know, like. This is in Providence, right? Of course, you have freestyle yeah, music, yeah. like, ooh, oh, diamond girl, mm -hmm. like all that money talks. Mm -hmm. I mean, like those songs were <laughs> blasting as well. But I was fortunate mm -hmm. to like, be in the cradle of all that on the East Coast of America when people were just like walking around with Onyx t-shirts and just rhyming and buying jewelry, you know what I mean? And people buy jewelry, but you know what I mean? It was like- <laughs> Golden a, era, a, golden a era stuff. And I was so young, but it was my formative years. So that's what I knew and that was, was my reality. And then I mm. often say this in interviews, like I, would, I came to Sweden and it was like the movie, The Cell, you know what I mean? It was like this, layer of melancholy that laid on me. And, you know, I, I also, you know, I was influenced by MTV as a child because I would watch TV a lot mm -hmm. and I would see like rock videos and stuff. And all of a sudden the rock video was in my, <laughs> outside my window. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> love to, like yeah. you know, like I would call them horse girls, you know what I mean? Like, Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah I would yeah. ride horses yeah. and listen to like Pearl Jam or Nirvana and wear a Nirvana t-shirt. So this was like, wow, I can chill with these folks as well. You know what I mean? Like these people exist too, but mm. hip hop has always been like deeply rooted in my DNA, you know, without even knowing it. Mm. I mean, I, I, I take it then. And from hearing you talk about uh, what it was like growing up in Providence, that hip hop was just everywhere. It was just a natural part of your environment but do you remember back then in those early days if there was a certain album or artist that was like one of the earliest to kind of capture your attention a little more or that you like got like what was the first album like, or artist that you really got into i think my sister listened to more albums i was so young but i loved ll cool j like around the way mm. girl was a popular okay. song so 
mm-hmm. you know, just those lyrics standing at the bus stop sucking on a lollipop once again. It's hard to make, you know what I mean? It's like those lyrics. I would yeah, always rhyme yeah. them, like even coming to Sweden and people were like, you're American, you should rhyme, like rhyme, you know, because I looked like mm-hmm. some <laughs> video when I came mm-hmm. to Sweden, I would rhyme lyrics that existed from like LL or, you know, Run DMC or, you know, just like, I remember it was like a lot of Wu-Tang back in the day as well. 36 chambers, you know what I mean? So mm, it was, mm. and, and, and seeing that come to Sweden, like a couple of years later was shocking to me. Cause I never thought it, the hip hop um, vibe would ever come to Stockholm. You know, I was just like, that's long gone. And every summer mm, when I would mm. travel to the States and see like, you know, music at the basketball courts or like rappers um, gear that was influenced by hip hop music, I would be like, I'm never going to see this in Stockholm, but all of a sudden there was this wave of like underground battle hip hop. I don't even know how, do you know how it came to Sweden? Like how mm-hmm. did people, was it like through, I, I, or was I, it like a movement? I think, I mean, I think hip hop came to Sweden, like, you know, started, started seeping in through, you know, kids that had traveled to the States and brought records back okay. with them, mm-hmm. you know? probably around the same time that hip hop was really uh, starting to happen. So, you know, the earliest accounts of like a hip hop song being played in Sweden is, is probably like early eighties, you yeah. know, but it, somebody had probably been to New York and, and, you know, been to rock and soul yeah. or uh, uh, whatever record shop at the time was, was, selling this new fresh and exciting music and brought it with them to Stockholm or Gothenburg and played it. But do you remember what, uh, like when you wrote your first like rap verse or when you spit your first verse? So, um, you know, ending up in Tumba, Sweden, which was very like, you know, Mm -hmm. I was the only immigrant in my school, but then I eventually, can we say Tumba is is that kind of like New Jersey or no, like, it's uh, like um, what would what would we say com- uh, compare compared Stockholm, to but it's like Springfield you know what I mean <laughs> like you okay. know it's the suburb okay. outside of the city of it mm-hmm. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. Syracuse I don't know how to explain it New York's too big to like yeah, compare yeah, yeah. it to yeah to here but um uh, uh, Mount Vernon or yeah, something yeah. like uh, in the city but. F- far exactly. from the city kind of so you arrive in exactly but then you know um i would like bench i used i started going to clubs here since you know it, it wasn't that dangerous for kids to be out here as opposed to america where mm. you go outside they're like don't go out there there's you know dirty old men and you can get shot you know what mm. i mean you could just you know mm. like that mm. shaheen verse uh what, what's it called uh, uh, from 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 that, I just remember his on and on, and everyone he's like, all you can hear is the shells drop, and no man got shot in a parking lot in front of a building. I hang with a friend, you know what I mean? So it was yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. That's from that first track on and on. You know, mm-hmm. you don't go out there. I remember mm-hmm. like dirty old men just looking at you, you know, like catcalling kids and shit. You know what I mean? So, um, you no. know, so in Sweden yeah. it wasn't that dangerous. You would go out and go to clubs. And I was like 12 when I went to my first club. So there I met, um, and techno was really big, Euro techno. So we would like wear braids and like rave clothes mixed with like hip hop gear. Cause mm-hmm. you know, that was what was in like 90, 
596, you know, um, mm-hmm. before like Miss CP Diddy and all that came to the mm-hmm. table. But um, yeah, so basically I would go to these clubs, da- dance like rave dances and um, I met Cool James and the Black Teacher. They had a song called Colin Dr. Mm-hmm. Feel Good, makes you feel good, Colin Dr. Feel. So I was like, oh, and they were like, you know, looking at me like, okay, does she rhyme or anything? Because I knew these rappers called Michael and Kane from Albi, which is like the hood part of Mark mm-hmm. Vernon, Mount Vernon, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to say. So, um, <laughs> they were like, yeah, you should start rhyming, you know? So I just wrote my first verse um, and it was a really hard mm-hmm. verse. It was like, Home people's just be using the scene, abusing the scene, but ain't nobody using me because I'll just steal on them. So they better have a shell on them. I don't care no more. I don't share no more. All I do is my own, like mowing the lawn or Sylvester. Yo. Now, listen, crowd, this is Stocktown and I'm proud, but we all the same. So don't make a big claim, just like, you know what I mean? But that's other Yo. that rhyme. All right, <laughs> all right. Was, First I was verse. 12, you know, so I was very proud of that. As a lover of hip-hop culture, it's dope to hear these kind of stories and inspiring and uplifting to dig into the roots of the global hip-hop community and to know that we can all share our love of music together. That's episode 59, peeps. Check it out. And to finish things off, I gotta say it was a real treat to review Kanye's latest album, Donda, with my friend, writer, hip-hop activist, and DJ, Nathan Hamelberg. The best verse on the entire album, uh, that's on the actual album, I would say uh, to me is the J Electronica. Verse on, uh, <laughs> I was I was on... hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy that we're, that we're in agreement on uh, track number seventeen, Jesus Lord. Yeah, I mean where he kind of just in those however many bars it is but let's guess on 16 it's an it's a it's a, a it's kind a, of it's standardized a, it's a snippet that it should have been have been an odyssey but never mind it was just a snippet we were given yeah it kind of covers the whole it covers all bases from uh from start to uh no but it covers all bases from start to finish on the whole it's like if i only need to hear 16 bars of the whole album those are the yeah. 16 bars <laughs> Like if yeah. this whole, if all these like release uh, uh, mass meetings and everything, if it was just to get Jay Electronica to write 16 bars, then it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, totally. But he's also, I mean, that's, he has some kind of Stokely carmichael or Kwame Touré kind of mm. on pointness when he spits. And I also yeah. thought of it, I mean, uh Kanye I mean, is when he all drops, over I the never, place. Yeah. Kanye is all over the place because it's his album. So, I mean, that shouldn't yeah. come as a surprise. But, I mean, what we know about Electronica is that he is more, I mean... He's a uh, mystic. Yeah, and, and the, like, a written testimony is, um, was like, you know, how carbon mutates to diamond from the, like, geological pressure of ages mm-hmm. he's i don't think he's a reluctant rapper but mm-hmm. he's not a narcissistic rapper you could say <laughs> he's not he's not that, that uh, eager uh, which really is paradoxical because he's on 
the definitely most visible and well-known narcissistic rapper on the planet uh, yeah. on his album, you know? Yeah, yeah like, to also- me, Jay Electronica doesn't seem like... The, like, it seems to me that he doesn't even have to... Uh, he doesn't even have to rap. I mean, but he will do it when asked. Uh, but that is something, it's just the, the art is in his exhalation, is, is in the air he breathes. So it yeah. doesn't have to be, you know, put on record and sold. Mm, uh, and I think also- I, I, I love when he puts it on record because I always get uplifted from hearing it. But it's kind of like the Swedish rapper Jakke, who also has this just very... Uh, rarely drops nat- and when he natural. does <laughs> rarely yeah, drops this, and when he does it's like he's killing it yeah it's just a natural flow where it's like it's so kind of uh uh you know can we call it big rap energy or something like he doesn't even he has nothing to prove uh, and yeah. it's so uh that just makes his foundation very solid but that when means- he drops anyway when he drops i never roll the gsxr or the R6 or the Honda, but I flew my Ducati through North America like Wakanda. Earthquakes will strike this nation for what Bush did to Rwanda, what the Clintons did to Haiti and Downing Street did to Ghana. That's where I'm like, okay, thank you. I think he he could like sit equally well as being a a minister for the nation of Islam. Mm. Um, So, and whereas... I mean, as much as I admire uh, Ye's uh, tr- attempt to be kind of transparent with like emotional struggles and the loss mm. of his mother and so on and so forth, when Electronica drops his verse, it's just like, yep. Yeah. So this is the <laughs> the the pure, the uncut truth. One of the mysteries with this album to me is also the title, uh, the the so clear kind of homage to his mom. Uh, but that's also what I'm missing lyrically on the album. Uh, but, but then again, when something is 27 tracks long, just grasping the whole, all the, all Kanye's verses and understanding, okay, where is he, where is he going? Where is he in this? Uh, yeah. And it, I don't it, think could, it could be even that we're like a bit early on this. I mean, it's, mm. it could be that half of it has yet to sink in, but I'm thinking, He's trying to kill too many stones with a <laughs> too many birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that he wants to make, he wants to somehow, from um, from some introspective point of view, he really wants to, um, yeah, address his mother. And mm, but at the mm. same time, then he thinks it's what would be befitting to my mother. Oh, well, that would be my magnum opus. What should my magnum opus be? Oh, it must be the the fattest, illest joint of all time. So I'm going to have everybody and they moms on it. And therefore he ends up with having, I mean, it's, it feels like there's, there's a collab or a feature on every song, which means that the, uh, any focus on his mother and his loss, etc., comes mm. sort of, uh, it gets a bit lost on the way. And yeah. I'm also thinking um, with the collabos, I think he almost treats it as a way of manipulating us, the audience, into getting a call and response feeling from it. I mean, people have likened it to gospel and I can see why or how that makes sense. This was so fun to record. Just. 
Two hip-hop heads getting to nerd out and discuss Kanye's cultural impact as well as the evolution of his sound. Go check out the full Donda review in episode 72. And by the by, no doubt in hindsight who won that competition between Drake and Kanye. And for y'all that saw the live show that both of them did at the Larry Hoover event, I rest my case, folks. Also, let us know who you'd like for me to review next. Could be a current, could be a classic, your suggestion might just make the cut. Email us at thismomentpodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at thismomentpodcast. Send us a message with a suggestion. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for making this a great year together with us. Happy holidays, and we'll be back after Christmas. One love. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.